Well, tonight we have our annual celebration that was put into place, believe it or not. I, I ask this question of people frequently if they know when the, the first National Day of Prayer was called. It was actually called in 1775, one year before this great nation was actually founded officially. As we gather tonight, there's lots to pray for, and we're going to be spending some time doing that, but I really want to spend just a short bit of time reminding us of why we've gathered together for a night that is dedicated around the country, a day that's been dedicated to prayer, prayer for our nation. This year, the the theme nationally is based on Isaiah 58.1, and that passage is really looking forward to a time that's yet future, but it says there, shout aloud and don't hold back. Brothers and sisters, beloved, family of God, it's time for the body of Christ to shout and not hold back. Because I don't, I don't know where we go from here. It just seems that the decay of our country increases moment by moment. Whereas there used to be little slips and slides and then there'd be a recovery it just seems like the slide has gotten faster and and more downhill than ever and it says raise your voice like a trumpet declare to my people their rebellion you know when jesus spoke to the disciples and he reminded us of what we're supposed to be as he transitioned out of active ministry and into heaven he reminded the disciples that they were to be salt and light. They were to be preservation and they were to be illumination. They were to be in this world the thing that preserves and the thing that illuminates the character, the nature, the power, the majesty, the fullness, the word of God. And tonight I, I believe like No other time previously have we reached a crossroads. As I look at where we are politically in our country, as I look at where we are in the world and how the world is transitioning so quickly to a post-Christian world. Europe has been post-Christian for a long time. But I really truly did not believe that I would live to see the end uh, of what we could say is a Christian America. And yet it appears that uh, that's the direction the country seems to want to go. The anger, the bitterness, the hate, the insanity of what's going on in our world. During colonial America, our forefathers, those many of whom were not just pastors, but they were teachers, they were lawyers, they were doctors, Most of the founders were very learned men for the day. Many of them had degrees in law in addition to other degrees, possibly in medicine or maybe what we would call a teaching credential. They were governors. They were legislators. They were the rulers of their specific areas within the 13 colonies. And during their normal, routine public observances, they always prayed 
And in fact, it was our Congress that initiated the American Bible Society, printing Bibles here in the United States of America. That was, that was an act of Congress. And now you can barely speak the name of Jesus in the public square. And so as we think tonight, one of the books that was used and is still used in some law schools, uh, Commentaries on the Laws of England by William Blackstone, it's used today, but in that work, there were hundreds of scripture references. Because William Blackstone understood something I think maybe our nation has forgotten. That without there being a God who governs the affairs of men, there's no basis for any law. Because if it's just about what you think or I think or someone else thinks, if we don't all answer to somebody else, then laws are meaningless. They're just simply somebody's idea. But William Blackstone understood that the laws that governed mankind must emanate from God himself. And so he gave it two component parts, and he, he called them the moral portion and the administrative portion. In other words, there was something that was a moral truth. And of course, the greatest of all those moral truths that we have in our world today still remains the Ten Commandments. They lay out man's obligation to God, and they lay out God's desire for mankind. And yet we sit here and we seemingly have thrown those out. On July 20th of 1775, recorded in the writings of Samuel Adams, a fellow patriot, James Warren, wrote to him about the first day of prayer held on that day. And he said, Sir, three millions of people on their knees at once supplicating the aid of heaven is a striking circumstance and a very singular one in America. May the blessings of heaven follow in answer to our prayers. Amen and amen and amen. I wonder sometimes if the church itself is not in many ways responsible, and I'm not speaking specifically of any one church or of you gathered together tonight here, but I'm talking about the church that professes to love the Lord their God with all of their heart, their soul, their mind, and their strength, but fails to stand, fails to heed, fails to teach, fails to be both salt and light. Today's National Day of Prayer hails from a pivotal time, one year before the signing of the Declaration of Independence. And it was at that time that America was birthed, conceived, and continues to be sustained by prayer. I can only imagine what our world would look like if Christians ceased praying. If what is happening now is after the fact of people on their knees praying, can you imagine if, if we don't pray harder where this world is going? Founder Ben Franklin called for a constitutional convention in Philadelphia, and what turned the tide of that meeting was not the meeting of the minds. It was not the articulation 
uh, of what would become the Declaration and then following it by the, with the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, that would not be what caused that to come to pass. It would be the prayer meeting that he called because they came to an impasse. They, they couldn't get anything done. No one could agree. And so a prayer meeting was called. And from that prayer meeting was birthed the Declaration of Independence, was birthed the Bill of Rights, the Constitution. That's conveniently left out of our history books now. That a vast majority of America learned to read by reading the Bible. And if they didn't read the Bible, they read McGuffey readers, primers. They were filled with Scripture, overflowed with it, biblical principles throughout. And yet today, to do that same thing in school is actually in most states illegal. We're in the midst of a crisis, family. The need couldn't be greater. We're in the midst of an election year, an election year where it seems as though the population of this great nation has lost its collective mind. How we could possibly get where we are right now is beyond my fathoming. I really don't understand it. The choice is not good, and yet the choice is what we have. It seems as though the choice is between bad and bad. Worse and worser er. Not good and not gooder or, or something. I don't, it, it's insane. And I really mean to make no political statement because it's not Republican, it's not Democrat that we need to worry about. It's the fact that we've lost a view of Christ. This isn't a, an issue about political party. This is an issue about the soul of the country and where we're going from here. What's going to define us? What will mark us? And it's not just capitalism and free markets. It's where is our moral underpinnings? What do we really believe about the sanctity of life? It seems as though we care more about lesbian, gay, and transgendered issues than we do about whether people have bread on their tables. We care more about peripheral things. And to me, I'm just going to be blunt. That's a peripheral thing. That group of people makes up less than 4% of the entire country. That means that 96% of us are not LGBT. And yet, if you watch the news, if you look at legislation, if you look at what's going on in our country, if you look at what's going on on television, and in movies, you would think that the entire country is gay, lesbian, and transgendered because it occupies everything. That's not from the Lord. And that's not to be unloving. That's to say there are a lot more serious things for us to concern ourselves with. The Supreme Court has already redefined marriage. Didn't believe that would happen, but it has. 
Never thought I'd live long enough to see that. But the same Supreme Court won't defend a, a baker that decides he doesn't feel in his good conscience he can make a wedding cake. And so that baker not just loses his business, but his home. We have lost our way. We've lost our way. Probably most of you have been tracking a little bit with what's going on with Target right now. And the whole issue of same-sex bathrooms. Target, for the most part, has had unisex bathrooms for the last 10 years. So there has not ever been a time in the last 10 years when someone who's having a little difficulty discerning what gender they are didn't have a private place to go where they would not be discerned as having anything different about them. And yet, we find ourselves in that place. And so now we're already seeing the fruit of it. Pedophiles taking advantage of that law. Perverts taking advantage of that law. Simple search of the U.S. Department of Justice's website, you'll find out that there are more registered sex offenders in the United States of America than there are transgendered people. So in trying to help one group, you're harming the rest of us. That's not of the Lord. We're to take care of the innocent. Last time I looked, I don't need anybody to help me use a restroom, nor does anybody ever see what happens in there. We have lost our way. We've reached a place in this state where we are about to join only four other states in the United States. On June 9th, California State Senate Bill SB 1002 will likely be passed, making us the fifth state that will authorize euthanasia. Now, bear in mind, the only clearance you have to have, you decide that grandma's no longer functioning very well, as you've got to catch her on a day when she feels like that's the truth, and then have a couple of doctors say, well, you know, she's really lived out her best existence. We have lost our way. These are not good things. My Bible says it is appointed by God one time for every man to die and then to face judgment. And when man starts taking these types of things into his hand, we are on very thin ice with God. We wonder sometimes why we lack the blessings of God. We wonder how we've gotten where we're at. And for us as the church, the answer is very simple. We need to stand up and be counted for the Lord. Amen? We can't just lie down and we can't be afraid. We cannot let fear govern. We have to let his righteousness govern us as a nation. And I believe there's time. I believe the Lord would hear our cry of repentance. I believe that the Lord would honor that coming from us. 
but he'll also honor the choices that we allow to be made underneath our noses. And so I, I ask you tonight, are you standing? Are you doing all that you can, as Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus? Having therefore done all to stand, stand therefore. And that doesn't mean being against anything. It means being for the Lord and what he simply has stated in his word. We need to stop letting people talk us down as if our voice doesn't matter. My voice matters as much as anyone else's in this country. Your voice as well. And if we know truth and fail to speak the truth, then we have missed the opportunity to say what needs to be said. Do we need to say that with love? Yes. But we also need to say it with boldness and conviction and strength. We are to speak the truth in love. Amen? Not passively sit by and just, well, whatever, man. You know, love is love. God defined what love looks like. God defined what marriage looks like. God defined the value of human life. These are things that he's told us what he thinks about these subjects. He's told us what he thinks about drug abuse and alcoholism, stealing from people. He's given us all kinds of guidance. And we can't pick and choose. We cannot cherry pick. Well, we love the grace of God, but we don't necessarily want to have Jesus Christ as Lord. That doesn't fly with God. This same basic principle is exactly where the children of Israel found themselves in about 835 B.C. And it was at that time the great prophet Joel, and we're not going to read it tonight for sake of leaving plenty of time to pray, but I would encourage you to read the first couple of chapters of the book of Joel when you get home. How it ultimately is speaking forth of a time that's yet future, and that gives me hope. That gives me hope. Because as the Lord said to the children of Israel, as as Joel wrote to them, he's still speaking in advance to us tonight. And he spoke of where that nation was. And in chapter 1, there's a statement that's made in verse 2. And it lies in the tribulation, which is yet future. But he begins to allow us to get a little vision of what lies ahead. As he says, has anything like this destruction happened in your days or even in the days of your fathers? And I ask you, you who have walked with the Lord for a while, have you ever seen anything like this? Have you ever seen the world in such a condition that it's so adamantly against the things of God and for the things of sin? I haven't. And I'm a child of the 60s. I thought I'd seen some sinning. And I thought, I figured, you know, well, it's not going to get any worse. This is, this is as bad as it's going to get. Matter of fact, I actually, for a while, 
believed that, you know, I might be one of those mid-tribbers because I figured, man, this is so bad already that if it got any worse, it'd have to be the tribulation. And then I realized, no, it could get a lot worse. And it has. You see, the hurt during that time brought an economic meltdown. The economy appeared to be doing well at the time of Joel. And then famine after famine after famine swept in and took everything that they hoped in. You ever wondered if some of these things that are going on in our country isn't the hand of the Lord saying, you know, I'd kind of like you to change your direction a little bit. I just wonder if the hurt that we're going through may not actually be the Lord's hand saying, would you turn? Would you stop? Would you look at what you're doing? Would you get on your knees? Would you turn to me and pray? And if you'll pray, I'll hear your prayers from heaven. And, and as that passage says, there in Second Chronicles 7, I'll heal your land, but I'm not healing your land unless you turn and pray. Need to mean it. You see, the problem at that time was their hearts. Yes, there was hurt, but there was really a problem with the heart of the people. And I wonder if the situation that we're in right now isn't like it was then, a heart issue. They stated, they restated their desperate situation and the prophet Joel says, look, what you need is a change of heart. You need to repent. You, you see, to identify the problem is pretty easy. That's why political speeches sometimes amaze me. You, you just got, you, you know, it's like that Captain Obvious dude. It's like, seriously? Like, we didn't get that the economy is terrible. We're trying to pay our bills with what's left, right? We, we get that. Like, we didn't know that our, our communities are fractured. That there's tension. Like, we didn't get that we're overtaxed. Like, we didn't get that the government doesn't have a clue what it's doing. It's like, yeah, we understand that. But here's the long and short of it. We put the knuckleheads in office. may not be you, may not be me, but we have a collective form of government. And when the church, when, when you won't go to your, that guy that sits next to you in the office or that lady that, you know, is having her hair done, whatever, and that subject comes up and you stay silent, you're letting them believe with their heart something that's not true. We need to be bold. It's time to just stand up and say, look, no, God has, a, has an opinion on that matter. And here it is. You see, people's hearts won't change unless they know the truth. And when Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father, but he meant that. He's truth. So what he says is true. Till that final judgment, the good news is there's hope. 
Or in Joel chapter 2, it says, in verse 12, it says, Turn with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, with mourning, and rend your heart. Not your garments. Rend your heart. Don't tear your clothes. You see, that was normal for the Hebrew people. When they got really worked up, they tore their clothes. It was the most valuable thing that many of them possessed. So it was, it was a sign, but sometimes they'd tear their clothes just as, as, a, as an outward act. And God's saying, look, don't tear your clothes. Tear your heart. Get real with me. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful and slow to anger and great of kindness, and he will relent from doing harm. Look, the answer is in God's house. It's not in Washington. It's not in Sacramento. It's in God's house. We have the answer. And it's a heart change. It's a heart change in government. It's a heart change in the workplace. It's a heart change in homes. It's a heart change in people in general. That repentant heart is remorseful. It's not belligerent. I'm listening to some of these political speeches, and I'm going, man, if I ever talked to my dad like that, I'd be missing teeth. I'm not saying that's right, by the way. I'm just saying uh, where we have lost our, our ability to discern what is even proper. Not just what's right, what's proper. What, what, what marks us as being different from animals? You get really humble before the Lord when you realize who he is. And there's not much humility in our world. A third thing before we reach that place of getting on our knees is how are we going to do that? We had to humble ourselves. We've got to pray. But it's not too late. That's the great news. That's not just good. That's great news. It's not too late. It's never too late. As long as you have breath and the Lord hasn't returned, it's not too late. Change can happen. Repentance can occur. And God will hear those prayers. You, You see, that's what we need to be doing. What I need to be doing. I was reading through the news today. I took it as an opportunity to just lift those things up in prayer. How does a 27-year-old man kidnap a 9-year-old girl and murder and rape her and leave her in the desert? I prayed for that family. It's like, God, you've got to change the hearts of people. He was addicted to pornography. He was addicted to pornography. Where do we think that's going to go? It's happened on our watch. The world has stood by and said, nah. Somebody does in the privacy of their own home. If in the privacy of your own home you're making a bomb that might blow up my neighborhood, I have an obligation to tell you you ain't building no bomb in your house. And yet, 
well, you know, I don't, I don't want to infringe on their First Amendment rights. What about God's right to call the shots? It's his world. He owns it. And I'm going to leave you with the hope, and then we're going to turn our attention as the guys come out. We're going to take four different areas, and we're going to spend some time in prayer over them. You see, God's zeal to, to punish, to, to recompense sin is greatly outweighed by his mercy and his grace and his kindness. He wants to be merciful and he wants to be kind. That's God's heart. But if we leave him no choice, if we leave things unchanged, if there's no repentance, there's no heart change in our world, then he will have no choice. I don't want to see that time come. I want to see the mercy of the Lord poured out again. I want to see the kindness of the Lord poured out again. I want to see people won to Christ in repentance. I want to see revival, frankly. Maybe one more time. When I was in El Salvador, one of the things that we were praying for was God send revival. Send revival. Can I give you a little secret? You can't be revived unless you're vived in the first place. There has to be some life in what's already alive for there to be any revival. There has to be some fire within the church if there's going to be revival. Because if the world doesn't see fire in us, they're never going to want what we have. If we look dead, if we look lifeless, if we lay down and die tonight, spiritually speaking, of course, then why would the world want what we have? There should be a holy boldness about us as a church. We need to let the world see that there's hope. As grim as things look, in the Lord there's always hope. Amen? As crazy as our world is, as messed up as it is, I can't see a path that looks good. But I can see a God who is good. Who's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And it's to him we need to plead. For our own lives, for our families, for our church, for our city, our own homes. Can you imagine if every Christian marriage never saw divorce, what that would do to our world? Can you imagine if every Christian mom and Christian dad led their children to becoming followers of Christ, lived it out at home to where it was inevitable? Not that they could save their own, but there was such a presence of Christ in their homes that the kids said, Mom, Dad, whatever you are, whatever you've become, whoever you are, I want to be like you. The problem is they don't see that. They see dads watching porn. They see mom and dad drunk. They see you attending parties. They see you doing the very things you tell them not to do. No wonder they don't want to be Christians. 
It's time to stop playing games with God. And it's time to stand up and be counted. It's time to live out what we say we believe. And I mean no disrespect to anyone. No condemnation to a single person that's here. Maybe 100% of all here tonight are doing these very things. But can I say to you, let's help other people do the same. Let's stand when others won't. Let's speak when others won't. Let's pray when others won't. Let's be salt when others won't. Let's be light when others won't. Let's be people of the word and not people of the world. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you. Now for this time that we're going to spend in your presence. And Lord, that your spirit would move in this place tonight. God, we truly believe that prayer does indeed change things. That it transforms us as individuals, our families, can transform our neighborhoods, our city, our state, our nation, and our world. Lord, can be transformed by the power of prayer. And so on this national day of prayer, we come to you humbly. Lord, it's a night when maybe we really do need to get on our knees. We need to humble ourselves and, and supplicate so that the peace of God can once again come. And Father, we just begin now by positioning ourselves with our hearts inclined towards heaven, our minds on the things of the Spirit. Spirit, come and speak to us on how we ought to pray. And so as we begin, Lord, these, these times of prayer, would you be in our midst? Teach us, God. Teach us, God, how we ought to pray. We love our country. Lord, we love our world. We love our brothers and sisters who walk this earth with us. And, Lord, we're, we're worried. We're concerned, God. We know you can fix it. And so help us to lift up the needs, Lord, of this country, our world. We honor you, Jesus. It's in his precious name that we pray. Amen.